You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Purpose Through Pain podcast. Today's guest is Caleb Pearson. He is an active technical sergeant in the United States Air Force. He has served now for 15 years, spending the majority of his career living overseas all across Europe and Asia. Caleb has served six tours in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Africa. He is currently a professional military education instructor at the Gunter Non-Commissioned Officer Academy in Montgomery, Alabama. Caleb believes in the development of himself as well as the power of influencing and bringing up others along with him. He is the host and guardian of the torch of Ignite Podcast and co-host of the Shadows Podcast. Caleb hails from Armarillo, Texas, and he is a true Texan through and through. Caleb, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. How you doing, Joseph? Thank you for having me. Absolutely, brothers. It's truly an honor, man. It is an honor to be here, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So you, we talked the other day, you've had a hell of a life, okay? Yes, and you shared some things with me. And of course, just we all go through painful experiences in our life, okay? And I've always said something about where not only does every, every human on the face of this earth experience pain, but we experience it very early on. We can experience it as a child in the womb dealing with rejection or comments and you know, from our parents. And you're a prime fit for that. You're one of these guys. Let's go back, back in time now. And <laughs> let's, let's hear about your story, brother. I want, I want, I want to hear this. Yeah. So as you, as you said, I am from Texas. I am a true Texan. I was raised in a pretty standard Southern African-American family my dad was a preacher, so we were raised in the church, watching my dad in the pulpit. Uh, we were active singers in the choir, you know, everything that went along with being a PK, a, a preacher's kid. You know, everybody knew who we were. Uh, everybody was parenting us, right? They say it takes a village. So we couldn't we couldn't get by with everybody. I guess they think there's perks and stuff with being the child of the preacher, but it, there's no perks because <laughs> everybody gives you that look, right? And nobody is afraid to put you in your place, especially. And you'll have to excuse my voice. I don't know what is going on today. As I was telling you earlier, we started our first class, so if it's a little cracky, I apologize. You're all good. But, so yes, I'm. I'm. I guess if you would call you would say I'm the middle, the middle child of four. There's actually five of us, but I haven't met my younger sister in the flesh. But there's four of us: two brothers and an older sister. She has a different father, but out of the 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 three boys, I would be the middle. Uh, I have an older brother who's 11 months older than me, and then a twin brother who is 13 minutes younger than me. And I make sure he knows that. Of course. And <laughs> <laughs> you got to have him that one up on him, you know? Oh, yes, definitely. Like, I, I make I, some, he gets so mad because sometimes I'll call him my little brother and he'll be like, we're the same age. 
And I'm like, no, 13 minutes after me, you were my age. But it's kind of really cool because um, we're all three pretty close uh, and literally very close in age as my older brother's only 11 months older. So from March 10th to April 17th, we're all three the same age. So it's 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 a pretty cool thing. I had a, a standard, like I said, Southern. I, I thought it was standard at the time. But now, you know, looking back at it as an adult, I definitely had some some of my own trials, tribulations and 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 struggles, tests, if you will, going through life and growing up. I, I've always been a very independent individual. And I've, I've come to find that a lot of that independence or that need or um, maybe mindset of feeling like I have to be independent probably starts early on in in my childhood. I mean, age of three or four, you know, as I said, I'm a twin. I'm an identical twin, a mirror twin even. So so my, my twin brother is right-handed. I'm left-handed. You know, uh, we're mirrors of, of one another. There's, there's pictures where we're really young and I have no idea which one I am. I have to ask my mom and he doesn't know which one he is. But that, there, that there's a bond there that that really I guess you can't compare it to anything else. I think my twin is the only person in the world, and I say this all the time. But if if my brother was to st- sh- shoot me or stab me in my back or do the most horrible thing you can think of to me, I think I would probably still love him just as much, if not more, than than anything in the world. My twin is is he's. He's the world. He's my other half. But uh, he was also my dad's favorite. I was a strange child from what I'm told. I didn't think I was strange, but my, I guess my family thought I was strange. The relationship between me and my father was strained at best, if you could say that. I was a, and still am, a cliche mama's boy. But that's because mom was the one that showed me the attention. I, I really didn't get much attention at all from my father. Um, my father was a truck driver as well as a preacher. So there were nights that he was gone for long periods of time. And, uh, you know, and then he would come back and then he was gone. And, you know, he was also in and out of prison and, and, and jail. And that's something that you don't really comprehend very much when you're a child, uh, when you're three you just know that dad's not there right you know and i remember my mom used to take us and it was time to go pick up my dad and we would wait outside of the prison for hours and you know he would come and we'd be so excited but we didn't we didn't understand the reason for um him being where he was and i don't think it was really conveyed to us as far as that goes you know growing up i i was i was fearful of my father and largely in part because Often I was getting in trouble for being the wrong twin, Uh, not for being the wrong twin, but mistaken. But yeah, exactly. For being mistaken as the wrong twin. And, you know, we had this conversation, but, you know, for your listeners, just like we talked about before that I can remember there was a time. Um, I mean, I can remember several occasions, but I remember there was a time I was I was sitting down and uh, I'm watching TV and my dad is watching TV. He's sitting on the couch and my mom is in the, the kitchen and she's cooking. And I think my brothers and sister, the, she, my sister's in her room. And both my brothers are back in the room playing with toys or something. And, um, you know, my mom was calling my twin's name. His name is Jacob. And she was calling his name. 
And of course, I'm not answering. That's not my name. I'm not Jacob. So I'm not going to answer. And she had called him over and over. And, you know, suddenly I I felt this sharpness across my backside and uh, this pain. And uh, I look up and my father had just struck me. And I look up at him and he's like, you know, boy, you you answer when your mother is talking to you, when she's calling you. And, um, you know, I started crying and, and you know, just welling and, you know, crocodile tears running down my face. And I'm like, I'm not Jacob, I'm Caleb. But it, that wasn't even, obviously, there was the physical pain of that. But that wasn't even the most painful part. The painful part was... My father never apologized for that. Yeah, uh, he didn't. He didn't apologize for getting his his twins mixed up, not being able to tell which one was which, or um, even striking me and bringing me to tears. You know, of course, I ran to my mother, and um, the, the, that's just one aspect of of the strained relationship between my father and I. And as I spoke about before, uh, he was a truck driver. And at night he used to um, he would go on these like these, you know, long trips and he 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 would come and sneak away in one of my brothers for like a night excursion or whatever. And they they'd come back with um, all these gifts and toys and food and balloons and everything in the morning or the next day. And I remember he would switch between my older brother and my twin and he had never take me. But, all, you know, I got to sit there and listen to all the awesome stories that my brothers had to tell about their trip. And, uh, you know, I used to get so excited because he was like, oh, when is it my turn? And I would go to him and when is it my turn? When is it my turn? And he he would just always say soon or I'll get you next time. And I can even remember, you know, trying my best to stay up as late as I could so that when he did come into the room, I could either jump on one of the trips with my brothers or he'd choose me that time. And he never did, never chose me, Mm. never chose me. And, um, you know, my dad wasn't there from the time I was about five years old until I was an adult after our, well, he wasn't there at all, but we didn't really talk or connect until I was an adult. And one thing that I asked him as an adult was, uh, why didn't he really mess with me as a kid? Why was our relationship so strained? And his answer, and it, it still sits with me today. I mean, we have a good relationship today. But his answer for that was, I was strange. He didn't know what to make of me. And so he thought it was best to leave me to my mother. I don't really think he understood the implications that that would play on me as an adult or as a child growing up. Of course. And on on my development. And even now, I don't think he understood Stan's the way it's molded me into who I am. I'm not, I regret nothing about who I am, but you know, uh, that feeling of neglect from my own father, constantly being in trouble for being mistaken for the, uh, a different twin. And I just, I honestly just don't really think that he really cared too much for me because I was strange. Yeah. I wasn't, I was, I was the, the sickly child. I wasn't very uh, uh, masculine and rambunctious. And so I think that he, that's just, he didn't know how to deal with that. So he just left me to myself, but he would be quick to punish me and no issue punishing me. And I can even remember being, getting to a certain point to where I didn't feel like anybody understood me. I didn't, I didn't feel like my brothers understood me or my mother or, you know, my father. And um, I was constantly getting in trouble. And there was a time where my mom and dad had made these giant paper airplanes and they were going to take them outside and race them. 
And we were so excited about that. And uh, I don't remember what I had done or what I had said to make my father angry, but I had done something wrong in his eyes, at least. And I was being punished. So while everybody else got to go outside and do this paper airplane race, he made me stay inside. And for me, that was kind of like my last straw. Like, yeah. I'm, I, I, I don't even know why I'm a part of this family at this point, because I'm always being excluded or I'm always in trouble. And I just didn't understand why. So I, I'm four years old. I had decided I was going to take myself out. I was going to take myself out of the picture. And I was, I was going to, I was going to kill myself. I'm a four-year-old kid and I was, I was smart. That's what, that's what was wrong with me, quote unquote, is I was smart. You know, my, my mom, she, she was like, she wasn't too sure about me. She wouldn't have me tested and seen the doctor and the doctor was like, he's, he's smart. He's very intelligent. He just needs to be stimulated. But this one time in particular, I had decided, well, let's see about if I take myself out, how much will they miss me? Will they even care? I'll probably make everybody's life better anyway. So my plan was to, we had a sliding glass door. My plan was to break the glass door, take my dad's boots and track them through the mud and then track that through the house. And then I was going to take a knife and uh, jam that knife into, into my gut and in myself. Uh, I had the plan, just didn't have the order right. Because the first thing that I did was go into the kitchen and I looked for the, and my dad was a cook. My mom could cook as well. So they had good cutlery, right? They kept everything nice and sharp. I went and looked for the biggest, sharpest kitchen knife I could find. And I went and grabbed this kitchen knife. And in my mind, it's just flashes of all the wrong that I keep doing. You can't get it right, Caleb. You keep messing up, Caleb. You're not the right twin. Yeah, at this point, you're dealing with rejection, abandonment, Mm -hmm. neglect. I mean, just being compared to other people, you know, and then, of course, mistaken female Mm -hmm. brothers at the age of two, three, and four. Yeah. You know, and um, and so that brings you to this point. So go ahead and go. Yeah. And Joseph, I tell you, I tried. I mean, I don't know how strong an average four-year-old kid, but I know that they're strong enough to pierce something if they want to. Oh, of course. So I tried with all my might. When I tell you I tried, I tried so hard. I brought this knife up into the air and I rammed it as hard as I could into my gut. I mean, hard. And I could not break the skin. The first time I brought it up and brought it down, I didn't even feel pain. I just realized that it didn't go in. And so I said, okay, let me try again. I must've tried five times just over and over trying to make this knife break the skin. It didn't even leave a mark, not even a scratch, Mm. not even a divot. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm not strong enough to do this myself, but I bet this wall is. So I held this knife against my stomach and I ran as fast as I can, could and hit the butt of the knife, right? Was facing the wall with the, the point of the knife pressed against my abdomen. And I ran into that wall so, so hard that I bounced off of that wall. The knife would not go in. With all of everything, every fiber in my being, that knife would not, it didn't even leave a mark. It would not go in. No scratch, no penetration, no, no nothing. No, nothing. Now, I can't tell you if the if the knife itself sustained any damage because I don't <laughs> remember. 
But I tell you, when we, and we spoke about this, when you talk about divine intervention yeah. and it not being your time, there's a truth to that. Without a doubt. Even when you try to take matters into your own hands and it is not your time, there is a truth to that. Yeah. And is that what you felt at that moment? Like what happened when you realized, hey, this knife isn't going in. I've already tried to do this five, six, seven times, you know, and then it wouldn't go in. No scratches, no nothing. What came upon you at that moment? You know, I I looked and and I stopped and I thought and I had this just flushed feeling of purpose. Mm. Maybe not right now. Maybe I don't understand right now. Maybe I don't understand why this family. Maybe I don't understand why me in this situation. But it would be revealed to me eventually that I had purpose. Yeah. That that wasn't my time. And again, like I said, we were raised in the church. So for me, that was God saying, hey, no, <laughs> cut it out. This, this isn't happening now because I have a plan for you. I have something special waiting for you. And you're just getting started. You're just getting started. And so I went and I put the knife up. I put my dad's boots back into his room. And shortly after that, my, you know, my family, they all came back inside. Ha ha, ho- hooping and hollering and laughing. And I smiled. I had a smile on my face. And he just kind of looked at me like, what is this? What is this boy smiling at? But I smiled because to me at that point, it was like, it doesn't matter if you like me or not, because God likes me. Yeah. I like me and I have purpose. And this, I couldn't even take myself out. Yeah. And you're realizing this at the age of four. Mm, at the age of four. Wow. Four years old. Yeah. And, you know, I, I bore the scars of physical scars and mental scars of of, of that situation between uh, my family and my father. Um, suffice it to say, my mother and father's, you know, divorced shortly after, but that's, you know, not due to his neglect of me, but because there was mer- issues in their marriage. But there was de- there was physical abuse there. My father was was very physical with my mom, um, and there were <laughs> there was there was one one fight in ver- in particular that I will never forget. I don't even know how it started, but I remember being so scared because to me, my my parents were titans, and the whole apartment shook as they threw each other into the walls and against the furniture and. We're just, you know, we're young, we're little kids and we're just screaming, huddled around my sister. She's six and seven years older than us. So we're just huddled around her and she's protecting us. But there was one point where my mom had either gotten flipped or rolled over one of the sofas. I think it was a recliner and she, you know, rolled kind of and then somersaulted and then, you know, got back to her feet and headed into the kitchen. And as she passed by, I passed in between her and my father. And my father had picked up, we had this metal folding chair that we kept next to the phone in this well, so where we would kind of do our homework. He picked up this metal folding chair and he threw it in the direction of my mother. I think it was meant for her, but it hit me. Mm. And my uh, and my my dad's a big man, muscular, six foot, uh, almost six foot. I think he's five eleven, but um, he, he's a he's a strong man. 
I'm a, I'm a little four-year-old kid. Picked up this chair, threw it into my leg, and oh, the pain from that, I walked I walked with a limp, a noticeable limp, for a couple of years. Wow. But So that was the physical scar, but the mental scar lasted much longer, much longer. I remember being 13 years old and telling that story in English class and just falling apart. Yeah. I had nightmares and everything from from that and from then on i feared my father he wasn't dad anymore yeah he was this 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 being that caused me pain right um and it was i developed a lot of i guess it's kind of like a paradox because when it comes to men especially male mentors i attach strongly to them probably because i'm seeking something that i didn't get from him yeah uh, you know, and then at the same time, I have a certain image in my head of a black man because that's who my father was, a black man that caused me pain. So I I tend to kind of find myself almost retreating into myself and almost fear just because not of that person or that that person is bad, but because of the relation that I see and correlate that with the experience that I had as a child. And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a very independent person and I choose to deal with all, all of my issues and problems by myself. But I feel like I do that because at that point when I said I had, you know, I came to that epiphany of having purpose. I also came to the realization that I'm going to have to do from my, for myself from here on out. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be misunderstood. I'm going to be probably picked on, um, which I was. I've been called pretty much. Every name in the book. I don't think I can ever remember a year that I didn't start the school off fighting. And I was the good kid. I made the grades and uh, I was, you know, the teacher's favorite. I had straight A's and I was very intelligent, but I was also angry. Yeah. I was also very, very angry. So everything that you had been going through up until that point from your your dad and mom, and even, I mean, I'm sure you felt it. You had to feel it from your brothers a little bit, even though they weren't necessarily the ones doing it. But because they got to go on the trips with your dad, they weren't the ones getting, you know, disciplined, um, spanked or hit like you were. There, there had to have been something there as well from them, like a resentment on your part, even though there's no doubt that you loved them, but they weren't getting what you were going through, you know? And then everything that was going on personally ended up moving into your outside personal life, separate from Mm. family, Mm -hmm. you know? And what was going through your mind in terms of how other people were treating you? Did, Did you always associate it back to the way your dad did? When people would make fun of you or you would, you get called names, did the feeling arise within you that, Hey, this is because the way my dad made me feel. Uh, yeah, I think everything kind of uh, attached itself, especially when I was younger. Not so much now as an adult. You know, I'm 34 now. There's not really much there that I let affect me. But definitely, as I was growing up, I was a lot more feminine than my brothers. You know, I, I'm I'm very metro. I like to take care of myself and everything. But, you know, I, I got called I got called names. And uh, when I did, when people did pick on me or people misunderstood me, I did correlate that and flashback a lot to that relationship that I had 
or lack thereof um, with my father. And even even after we reconnected as an adult, he he knew that there was a lack or drop in our relationship. He he acknowledged that we were strange. Yeah. Right. And it actually surprised him because after my dad, after we had left and he was no longer in our lives, he was surprised that I was the first one to reach out. Mm. He was in prison at the time. And my sister worked for um, she was a probation officer for a federal probation officer. And I asked her uh, if, she, if she could find him for me so that I could send him a letter. And the reason why I wanted to send that letter is because I had gone through so much life holding on to so much anger, so much resentment, pain. I had been such an angry person that I I needed to release all that. Yeah. And I needed to face what it was, the source of that resentment, the, res, the source of that anger. And after prayer and meditation and deep reflection, kept bringing me back to that time when I was four years old and I tried to kill myself and that relationship with my father. So it was completely selfish in me wanting to write a letter to him and reach out. I did not want to do it for him. I did it for me because I needed to, I needed to work on forgiving him so that I could forgive myself yeah. And truly be the man that I knew I could be. There was yeah. a lot holding me back there emotionally. Yeah. There's no doubt that you wanted answers to questions. Why oh, he did yeah. this, why he did that, to ultimately bring you closure. So one, mm-hmm. you can forgive him and then also forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. Did you get that from writing that letter? It took a t- it took some time. We, we There were several exchanges of letters over a course of a couple of years. Um, where we got to that point. Uh, and I'm, I, and I, you know, I'll be blunt with you. I told him straight up, I did not call him dad. I called him his first name and I told him the purpose. I said, you know, I am opening up a line of communication with you. This line will stay open as long as I'm getting the answers to the questions. That's wow. the only purpose for this. And I told him specifically, um, this was not for him or for him to to feel bad about him not being there and then start to feel good. This was for me to learn things so that, one, am I capable of forgiving you? And then, two, what do we need to do to build and work on that forgiveness? And so at the beginning, I was very cold. I was very matter of fact, uh, very to the point. I called him by his first name for a long time. If if anything, I, I might mention father, but I think there's a big difference between being a father and being a dad. Father, Anybody can be a father. It's biological, right? Yeah. But being a dad takes something else. That's effort. Um, that's putting it's in effort. work. That's building the relationship. That's mm-hmm. being the friend. That's being there. You know, being a presence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Showing up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, teaching your kid how to throw a ball, which I couldn't. I, my mom had to teach me, which that, don't get me wrong. I love my mom to death. She did a bang up job raising us, you know, and uh, my mom, yeah, she when she was growing up, she was a bit, she'll tell you she was a bit of a tomboy. So she didn't mind. She loved, uh, you know, all sports and all that kind of stuff. You know, she was a cheerleader and all that kind of stuff. So uh, she was very active. Um, my mom is very smart, very resourceful, but she, she's a woman. I didn't have male influence, consistent yeah male influence growing up. You know, I had my grandpa, but he passed and we had, you know, a really close friend of the family who was our our godfather. But other than that, that was it. And, you know, my mo- my mother remarried 
And, you know, she remarried um, a, a woman who my stepmother, I love her to death. But those were my male influences. I was raised by women, my sister, my mom and my stepmom. I was raised by women. Do I wonder how things would be if I was ever raised by my dad or if there was a male influence in my life? Yeah, but I don't dwell on it because I think at my core, I have always been me. Yeah. It's like um, from the age of four, God just sets you completely apart from everybody else. I mean, mm. from birth he did, but you had that realization at the age of four of, hey, there's a purpose through all this. There's a purpose through mm. the pain that I'm going yeah. through, you know, and it, it just over time starting to realize you knew you had a purpose. You just didn't know what the purpose was, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, so take me back to your writing the letters to your dad. He's in prison. And that went over a couple of years. How did that continue to transpire? And were you getting the answers that you were asking for? So yeah, at first I was, but, <laughs> and you can call this being, uh, I don't, I guess I was, I was purposely being the way I was by continuing to just call him by his first name, but he didn't like that yeah. very well. And eventually, so it's funny too, because if you just, if you're just patient, you know, things will just kind of happen the way they're supposed to happen. Right. So it had gotten to the point to where I was like, okay, I can start to um, work on forgiving my father. Not only that, but now I'm intrigued and I, I want a relationship, right? I want to, I want to build a relationship. Now I want my dad, you know? And so I had written this letter when I, and I, it was the first time I called him dad as an adult. And I wrote this letter. It was, an, I was excited because I knew how happy he was going to be to get this letter about how I was going to tell him that I was ready to start forgiving him. I hadn't forget, gave him yet because I, I needed to work and I needed to really mean it. I needed to not just say it, but in my heart mean it. But I was ready to work on that. And that I was also ready to work on building our relationship yeah, as father's son. Being him being my dad and calling him dad, right? I wrote that letter, hurried up, put it in the post, sent it off. At the same time, he had written me a letter and I get that letter. And in this letter, he just rips into me and he's just like, you are disrespectful. You are on your high horse calling me by my first name. I'm your father. You are disrespecting me. You think you are all high and mighty. And just, I mean, went on and on and on. So my dad, I'm a college graduate. My dad never, I don't know if he even got past, I don't even know if he went to high school, to tell you the truth. I don't think he got past grade school. He's smart in in a different way. You know what I'm saying? But academics was never his strength. I know he was also illiterate at some point. Right. So he eventually, obviously, he's able to write and stuff and read. um, But I think that was something he struggled with. But... I guess he felt, because I wrote, I write, I'm a writer, so I write intelligently. Yeah. It's not to put anybody down or just anything. It's just how I write. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he went in on me, and he talked to me about how I was being disrespectful, how I was on my, I need to get off of my high horse and all of this. And, um, oh, I was, in, I was in, I was in, I was like furious. I was heated. And I'm thinking, I'm, 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 how old am I at this? I don't know. I'm like 19. No, no, I'm like 20, 22 or something at this point. Cause this is the second time I was in Korea. And the only thing I could think about is 
This man was not here from the time I was a child. I reach out to him and you tell me you can't hold on a little bit longer before you want to go in on me like that. Yeah. And I immediately grabbed a pen and paper and I went to town and I wrote, I wrote about three pages front and back saying, forget the letter that you just received in the email. I'm not, I don't forgive you. And I mean, I'm just, I'm intentionally writing to hurt this. Yeah, man. you're venting at this point. You, you, oh, you're yeah. Speaking out just for, you're reacting. Yes. About, and I was m- married at the time. And my wife, she said, Hey, are you sure that's what you want to send out? Because you're angry and rightfully so. You're angry right now. And it's good that you put your thoughts down on paper because you needed some way to put it out there. But are you sure that's what you want to send to him? And I was like, you know what? You're right. So I took a deep breath. I kept that letter and I set it to the side and I said, I'm going to sleep on it. So the next day I threw that draft away and I wrote another letter and I wrote a letter apologizing for making him feel like I was coming off high and mighty. And I reminded him the purpose of this communication. Wow. But I said, however, the letter you just received prior to this one still stands. I still am ready to start forgiving you. Mm, And I am still wanting to develop a relationship. And by that point, he had gotten my letter because he immediately turned around and sent another letter apologizing i mean you could see the tear stains in the paper he was broken oh yeah Yeah. where he had cried all over this letter i mean the ink was runny um i mean and it was page after page after page of him apologizing for you know and he was so afraid that i was just done yeah he was so afraid that i was done and you don't know what kind of moment he was having at the time that he wrote the previous letter ripping you apart Right. You know, just like you had a moment of anger, he could have been having a moment of Mm -hmm. just a bad day at the prison. So that's awesome. So he sends you a letter. What happened from there? So we kept writing for some time. And then I was finally coming back to the States and I wrote to him. He was still in prison. I told him I was going to come see him in prison. And so I he was down in Huntsville, Texas, and I went to go see my sister. And I told him, add me to your list because I'm going to come see you. And he was like, okay, cool. Make sure you bring some coins and stuff and we'll we'll chat. And he was super excited. And I didn't know, I didn't tell him when I was going to see him because I didn't know when I was going to be able to. Plus, I wanted to surprise him. Yeah. So I was an airman at the time. I had three stripes and uh, and I put on my blues. It's hot. It's really hot. <laughs> and it's like oh, yeah. August in Texas, Southern Huntsville, Texas. Austin is where my sister lived at the time, or Houston, one of the two. And so it's hot, but I put on my blues. I'm nice and clean. I'm like a buck 35. You know, that's how much I weigh. And I'm, I'm, I feel like I am just the bee's knees, right? And we drive about an hour and a half down to Huntsville, and we get to the prison, and we say, and I proudly say, I am Airman Pearson, Caleb Pearson, and I am here to see my father, Willie Lee Pearson and he he uh the person says okay just one moment some time goes by and I just get this gut feeling that something's not right yeah yeah and the person comes back and says you're not on the list I was like wow wow I was like can you check again and they checked again and uh I was like no you're not on the list and I was like so I can't see him and he was like no 
and I bawled my eyes out. I I cried and I cried and then all that anger came back. Yeah. All of it. I told you I was coming to see you. Right. I said add me to the list. And this had been this had been months ago. It's not like this was the next day. Right. Right? Because it had been months ago. I think even a year had gone by. And I came to see you and I'm not on the list. And so we turned around and I left and I wrote him a letter saying that I was at your door and you could not see me because you did not put me on the list. And he wrote a letter back and he talked about how much he cried. And the fact that I was at his door, I was literally right there and he could have seen me and he missed out on it because he had apparently put me on the list but then took me back off because he didn't know if I was ever going to come. It had only been a couple months. Patience is the thing that I learned my father wasn't good at at the time. Yeah. And so he's like, you're back on the list now. You're back on the list. I, I, at that point, I didn't care. I, I think another two years went by before I didn't write him a letter. And I didn't, I didn't want to hear from him. I had gone back to non-forgiving him. Yeah. Because at that point, it was like, what's the... It reminded you of the abandonment. It did. It reminded... I was right back there, that four-year-old kid, three-year-old kid, being struck for being the wrong twin, being misunderstood, leaving me alone because you thought I was strange. And now I did all of this to come see you and I'm not even on the list. Caleb, did you realize at that point that even though you had forgiven him while you were in Korea writing the letters, that when all those things arose back in you that you weren't truly healed. Yeah. Mm. At yeah. that point. And that's another reason why I just did not talk back because I knew that everything that I had to say from that point on was not going to be positive. Right. I knew it was going to take us steps back, but I also knew that I had some internal work to do yeah. and I wasn't healed and I needed to find that strength and that path to healing myself. Yeah. And, um, it's funny how, you know, life just kind of happens. And I think, you know, I was married and I went through a divorce. And then so during my marriage, my wife at the time, she 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 was pregnant. And then about three months into the pregnancy, she lost the child. Man, I'm sorry to hear that. And, um, you know, I thought to myself, man, I was about to be a father. I was about to be somebody's dad. Yeah. How proud I felt. And then... To have that taken away before I even had the chance to hold my son or daughter made me realize that we're humans and my dad was human, is human. I've He's been through his own pain. Yeah. He's made his own decisions and I've judged him enough. He will be judged by somebody more powerful than me when it's all said and done. Of course. But what am I doing on this earth to mend what it is that we have the possibility, if there even is the possibility of there being something between us, if there is a possibility for a spark of love in all of this ugliness and all this hatred in the world, why am I not grabbing and grasping for that possibility? So I wrote another letter and I said, hey, I'm back. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, at this point, I'm a staff sergeant. I've got four stripes and I am coming back to the States from England. And I go I take my sister down with me one more time to go see my father. And I'm on the list. And 
at this point, he's close to being released. So he's not with general population. He's yeah. with the, you know, um, rehabilitated, right. soon to be released uh, prison population. And um, I go up there and I'm I'm not in my blues, but I am in my ABUs. I'm in my uniform. And because uh, I wanted my dad to see this man, this service member, this service man I've become. And um, I get up there and the person's like, you look familiar. And I was like, I bet I know whose son you are. Hmm. But none of his children had come to see him. Wow. So they didn't know how many kids he had or if he had any or whatever. But I was the first. And I think I was the only one while he was still locked up. But um, I remember... They set me down in the waiting room and they said, we'll go get him in a little bit. It took about, and I kid you not, it took about 45 minutes for him to come out and see me. Oh not gosh. because he was scared, but he was so overwhelmed with excitement. Because they went back, they said, hey, Mr. Pearson, there's a, there's a military man here to see you. And he knew right away it was me. Wow. And he, they said that he was just hooping and hollering and praising and they they couldn't bring him forward because he was so excited. They needed him to calm down first. Yeah. But it took him about 45 minutes to calm down. Oh my goodness. And he finally came out. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be stern and I'm gonna be this man and I'm gonna shake his hand. I couldn't even hold myself back. Uh, as soon as I saw him, I was like, bumped his handshake. I'm grabbing his neck and I gave him the biggest hug. And it felt so good to finally be in the embraces of my father. And I could feel his heart beat wow. against my chest. I could feel that energy pass between us back and forth. And there was so much love through all of the pain. And you say, you, you know, your, 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 your podcast is purpose to pain. This was that purpose. That all of that pain, the the misunderstanding, the physical pain, the nightmares, the lashing back at each other back and forth, we're now face to face, man to man, adult to adult. And I'm just like a little child again, being held in my dad's arms. Wow. And we sat there and I mean, we didn't even talk for about the first 15 minutes because I just looked and I was like, man. This is my father. This is my dad. And he looked so much like me. I was like, he looked so much like me. <laughs> it was it was just amazing. It was amazing. And um And so for you the know, first time in twenty something years, almost you know, twenty-five years, because the last time you saw him is at the age of five, mm -hmm. you felt like you had your dad again. Yeah. And he wasn't Willie anymore. He was he was dad. He was dad. Wow. From then on, he was dad. And I told him, I called him dad, and that felt good. And I said, I love you, dad. It's the first time I told him that. Yeah. And so much can be taken from that that situation. And I know we talk, then, you know, there's other things that I went through in my life, and we talked a large part about that. But in particular, I think that's probably the biggest part of my life that's kind of shaped who I am now because I had to learn to overcome myself. Yeah. I had to learn to let go of things that don't that don't matter. And you know what it came down to when I finally went down to go see him was 
I had a couple airmen that in 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 concession had lost a loved one. Somebody had lost their grandmother, another person had lost their mom, and then somebody else had lost their father or something. I was like, man, this is just weird. I mean, like within the span of like three weeks. And I'm thinking about mortality and the relationship I have with those that are close to me. And I started thinking, I was like, if my dad was to die to tomorrow or today, one, would I would I even know? And then two, would I care? That's not okay. At that point, I'm a 30-year-old man or 20 I don't know. I'm almost in my 30s, right? I'm a man. I'm an adult. It's time to let go of all of this pettiness and pain and grudge. And it was not okay for me to accept that my dad could possibly die today or tomorrow. And I had I had missed out on that opportunity to have that hug and that yeah. embrace. Yeah. You know, Caleb, you know, you said something really powerful earlier about, you know, who are you to judge your dad? You know, mm-hmm. and we're all going to be judged, you know, at some point in time in our life, you know, by by God himself, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing that I did several years ago is I was actually going through something that had nothing related to therapy or family or nothing like that. But the speaker at the time, he was talking about his relationship with his dad, you know, and when he was saying things, I'm like, man, that's, that's exactly what I went through, you know, and he was ultimately having us put ourselves in that person's shoes, you know, why, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of your dad of, you know, I, I treated my son Caleb, you know, because he was different. Or did mm-hmm. you, did your dad get taught on how to deal with a different kid? You know, did your dad understand you know, I, and, and I got to thinking about my dad at the time and like the time I went up to forgive my dad, his response was to me. I was in the Marine Corps at the time. This is 2003. So I'm I'm 24 years old. I'm an adult. I'm a man, you know, mm-hmm. and I went up to him and asked him. I, I didn't ask him for forgiveness. I told him that I was forgiving him, you know, and and his response to me was, is I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And it took me back. I'm like, what do you mean? How can you not mm-hmm. rationalize in that brain of yours, you know, because my dad did not have a college education, but he was very, very smart as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, great with math. I mean, you know, they owned a business. Mom and dad owned a business at one point. He worked his way up in management with different positions, spent 20 years in the Marine Corps. But I'm like, how could you live with yourself thinking that that was OK? Beating mm-hmm. us verbally, mental abuse, physical abuse, you know, mm-hmm. and ultimately after I started, you know, years processing things like that, or that comment, I'm like, how was my dad raised? My dad just Mm -hmm. did exactly how he was raised, Mm -hmm. you know, because you look back at that generation, you Mm -hmm. know, where our dads are in our thirties and forties in the seventies and eighties, you know, they were raised by people that were, saw the depression, saw war, saw fighting for everything in their life. And all they were trying to do ultimately is harden their own kids up to make it past life's hardest difficulties, which they had faced, you Mm -hmm. know? And then all of a sudden you get a father like yours. It's just like, okay, I got boys. And what man doesn't want a boy? What man doesn't want a boy to roughhouse with and play rough with and go outside and play baseball? And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you're different. You'd rather play in the corner by yourself to stimulate Mm -hmm. your own mind than to go play with your brothers. You know, we hold on and you said it, we hold on to so much that we try to control because we want answers. And there's mm-hmm. just times in life, Caleb, we're not going to get answers to questions. We're not, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's just, it's a powerful statement that you said, you know, 
about the judgment and about the forgiveness and mm. coming to that realization that, you know, and I think a lot of us fail in that, you know, not as a bad thing, but just have a hard time comprehending why did my dad act that way? Let me put myself in those shoes. Mm. And when you come to that realization and you came to that, it's just like, why do I need to be the one judging him? He's human just like I am. We put on our pants the same way. You know, we yeah. wake up to the same sunshine. We, you know, we answer to the same people almost, you know, mm-hmm. um, at least the supreme being, being God, you know, we, we answer to the same person, mm-hmm. you know. So going back to you've met your dad, take me from there. So, yeah, I mean, it, from then on, I knew I knew had I had my dad back. I think he knew that he had his son, his son, Caleb. And he was again, he was surprised because I was the one that he didn't really mess with. Yeah. So for 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 the first one to come back into his life to be me was just he was like, wow, you know, but that's where so he needed proud his of heart. That's where he needed the most forgiveness at. Right. That's where that, yeah. that, that's where the heart was heart of stone. He always had a soft spot for your other for your for your other siblings. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember I was stationed at Dias in Abilene, Texas, and he's out of prison now. He lives down in Corpus Christi and he's remarried, right? And my stepmother, his new wife, I guess she has a son that lives or lived in Abilene. Just so everywhere you can live in Texas, Abilene, right? Is where your son is. And your husband's son is now stationed in Abilene. I was new, freshly new to Abilene. So, you know, his brother, uh, my uncle David and all them, they live in Dallas. And there's a lot of, he's, he's the youngest boy, I think of 11. Um, there's a lot of them. I have a lot of uncles and, and aunts and cousins. Um, but a lot of them are around the Dallas area. And uh, he and his wife needed to go to Dallas. But he had let me know, hey, we're on our way back from Dallas. We're stopping in Abilene because she wants to she wants to spend some time with her son. And I was wondering if you would like to spend some time with me. You know, no obligation. You don't have to if you don't want to. I was like, of course I do. Of course I want to spend time with you. You're my dad. Right, you're my dad. And I was like, this is the second time. And at this time I'm competing in bodybuilding. So I want him to see my body, you know, yeah, like I'm, I'm, how big and how strong I've got. And he's still <laughs> taller than me, but I'm like, I'm bigger than you now. <laughs> but even then, like you, you're brought back to being a child because yeah. even then his hands can swallow my hands. And I have right. big hands, yeah. I have big palms, but his hands are just strong and they can swallow mine. And that I was like, man, that's my dad, you know, but I was like, yeah, come, come, come and see me. And so he came and we, I went and took him to, to go eat at one of my favorite places. I was on, on, on a diet at the time. So it's really the only place in Abilene that I could go and eat that was still on diet. <laughs> and, um, but I got him, I wanted him to, cause this place was organic and they had like the best burgers. Oh, um, nice. so he ordered a bison burger. And I mean, when I tell you that they're the best of burgers, everything is nice and fresh and organic. You can taste every single ingredient It's just amazing. So during this talk, we're sitting there, we're talking and we're reflecting. And I said, you know, Dad, you said something before. You said that I'd like to start off by being your friend first. And then, you know, we can work up to being your dad. And I was like, no, I don't want that. And he kind of looks at me. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, I thought we were doing really good. It's like, no, we're doing great, but I don't need a friend. I have plenty of friends. Got lots of them. 
Yeah. I need a father. I need a dad. Mm. Can you be my dad? Will you be my dad? And he said, yeah, I can do that. And I said, you know, don't worry about, you don't have to worry about me bringing up the past. I have truly in my heart forgiven you. You don't have to worry about feeling like you need to answer to anything because I'm not the one you need to answer to. And I said, uh, from here on out, we are both men. We are adult men. We are clean slate, fresh start, man to man, father to son. This is this is where we begin. This is where we start. The four-year-old Caleb is, that's in the past. The 18-year-old Caleb that you decided to lecture in a letter is in the past. This is the adult man, Caleb, that is ready to have a relationship with his dad. And uh, that meant the world to him. And we've been we've been good ever since. And uh, so I, I'm a pansexual man. So I um, don't really see gender. For me, it's about a person that I, I mean, you could be male, you could be female, whatever. It's the person that, that strikes my interest. But I was pretty open. Um, I've been pretty open and out about it for a year now, but I was scared to tell my father Yeah. for, and you know, it bothered me that I was scared because he wasn't there, but now he's my dad again. So yeah, it, it matters. So when I did come out about that, I was afraid of his reaction. And at first he was just confused because I think it surprised him. And he, instead of coming to me, he went to my, because now my older brother, all three of us now have a, a renewed relationship with my father. My twin, surprisingly, was actually the last one to come around. But um, my older brother and he, and he had called my older brother and was like, I, and he, I guess he, 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 he cried and everything because he was confused. He didn't know what, what to do, how to approach it or how, whatever. Cause you know, my, my, my dad was a preacher. He, you know, scriptures was what he knows. And, and he knows that I'm also a man of faith and that I do know the word. I'm versed in the word, but I also know my heart and I know my relationship with God. And so he didn't know what to do. And that kind of irked me a little bit, the fact that he wouldn't come to me first. But I think he didn't. I can respect that he didn't because I think he was trying to be considered enough to get his thoughts in order. Yeah, he was processing things. Mm-hmm. Before, because, and and that, after I did, we didn't talk for a little bit. He reached out, but I didn't answer him because I was angry by what his brother did, my Uncle David. So my Uncle David... He, so I posted it on online and the whole world to see and uh, on on Facebook. And my uncle replied saying that I didn't need to say all that, that I should have taken that down. And he said that I needed to lose my last name, yeah. that I was putting the name to shame and I needed to lose my last name. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. But that made me angry. And the fact that I didn't hear anything from my father after that, or that there was not a reply on that post from my father, or actually from from his wife, because my father wasn't on Facebook, but he was through the proctor of his wife. So I was like, okay, you're just going to be quiet about that. And you're going to let this man talk to your son like that. Okay. And that hurt me. Yeah. And so I didn't say anything to him because I, I didn't... I wasn't angry at him. I was angry at my uncle, but I knew I would have taken it out on him. Yeah. And that would have been fair. Yeah. So we finally did talk. And when we did talk about it, he loves me even more. 
and even still. And uh, regardless, I'm his son. Yeah. And That's he doesn't have to understand me, which time and the past has proven that, right? right? You don't have to understand me. Just love me. Yep, that's it. Just love me. Now, Caleb, during all this, you know, we talked, you got into bodybuilding, okay? Yes, sir. And were you using that as an outlet for what you had been through in life? Yeah, I think I, um, I, think I, I used a lot of things, but definitely body, bodybuilding and being a scholar. Because what I did to my body as far as building it up and competing, that I felt like that was one, it was a masculine thing to do, right? For right. me. And I wanted to be because everybody kept telling me how soft I was. Right. Um, and for me, one of the things that I, I thought that my dad didn't like about me was the fact that I was soft. So that's me saying I'm a man, right? That was that. But it was also one of the one things that I could achieve that nobody could take away from me. Yeah. But me. Right. Yeah. Because you have um, all your all on your own. Exactly. And all, and that goes along with being a scholar and getting my degrees and pursuing education. Knowledge is something that no one can ever take away from you. No one can take that away from me. Yeah. You can never take away my degree away. Right. You can never take away the things that I have learned. Right. Unless, you know, you just perform a what, what is it? A, what is it? A lobotomy. Is that what it's called? Lobotomy? What is the thing? I don't even know. Where they, yeah. Well, unless, you know, you render me just, you know, mindless or whatever, yeah, but yeah. you cannot take away my, my knowledge. Right. You cannot take away my mind. So that's one reason why I pursued uh, bodybuilding so heavily in the reflection of that relationship of, you know, my father, um, among other things, but that definitely has something to do with it. The masculinity in it. The ability to say I've accomplished this on my own and you can't take it away. Yeah. So now what title do you have in bodybuilding? Uh, currently, I am a men's physique IFBB pro. Um, I I body started bodybuilding in the United Kingdom when I was stationed in England. <laughs> First time I ever stepped on stage, it was like I never wanted to be a bodybuilder. To tell you the truth. I didn't. I've always been fit. I've always been a trainer. Um, never wanted to be a bodybuilder. It was through two friends of mine that I used to train with. And every day they was like, yo, you, you need to step on stage. And I'm like, it's not something I want to do. It's just not something I want to do. And they were like, you need to do it. And then finally I was like, okay, to shut you up, I'll do one show. So <laughs> I prepped for men's physique and bodybuilding for this one show. And, uh, you know, anything that I do, you know, the lessons to my mom, she said, you know, never show Never give anything less than your best. No matter if you like it or not. Right. Never give anything less than your best. So I was going to do it to the nine. I was going to do everything, commit to a diet, get a coach, everything. So I did. So by the time I stepped on stage for, um, it was the United Kingdom Drug-Free Bodybuilding Association. And in order to do this show, you had to have been a champion in your respective country. This was my first show, mind you. The only reason I was able to do this show is I was, the show was in Scotland. I was the only American. And they were like, oh, yeah, we want an American. So they were like, he doesn't even have to have, you know, had met the prerequisites of qualification. Just bring him on stage. We want to see this American. So I did the show, entered in men's physique and bodybuilding and stepped out for physique and did the whole thing. It was time to do the lineup and placement and uh, didn't do good. Didn't place. Didn't even come close to placing. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm not as good as I thought it was. So I went backstage to prep for bodybuilding. 
the head judge himself left the judging table and came to see me and he said, I hope you are doing bodybuilding. Please tell me you're doing bodybuilding. And I was like, yeah, I am. He goes, good, because you're way too big to do men's physique. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. He's like, awesome. I can't wait to see you in, in a few minutes step on the stage for bodybuilding. So I stepped out on stage for bodybuilding. Minute I stepped out there, it was like heaven's party. And it was like, this is where you're meant to be. Right. Everything just clicked. Did my routine, did the lineup. I took first. Not only did I take first, I took the championship and the title against all these other bodybuilders that had been bodybuilding for years and had been competing, had to have won in their respective country right. in order to be at this competition. I took the gold that day and held that title the whole time I was in the UK. Got to UK, or got back to the States. Wanted to be continued bodybuilding. So uh, I knew that I wanted to be in the IFBB. The only way to the IFBB is through the NPC. So I got a new coach, stateside coach. And it was the first, 2016, first year that they had classic physique category. I did really good. My first show was Phil Heath. And, you know, I'm coming off of a winning binge, you know, yeah. you can't beat me. Right. right? I'm, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm high right now. Yeah. And uh, Phil Heath classic in Dallas, Texas. And I did beginner, novice and whatever the third category was open for uh, classic. Won all three, took the overall. And at this point, I'm like, Psh, I cannot be beat. Right. <laughs> Next show, so that that automatically qualified me for nationals. Did nationals at Junior USA's, got third or fourth at Junior USA's. At that time, they were only pro carding the top two placements yeah. for classic. All right, that's okay. Just had an off show. First time I'd been beat. Very humbling. <laughs> Next nationals, fifth place. Next nationals, eighth place. People, they're getting bigger. <laughs> Next nationals. Never first or second, always third, fourth, fifth, sometimes eighth. I'll tell you, I I lost more times than I can tell you I've won. That whole year of Classic Physique, didn't win one show, not one show. Talk about humbling. Got a new coach for 2017. He said, I want to put you in some board shorts. I was like, men's physique? Okay. I'm thinking I couldn't do it. I thought I was be too big, but get to the States and I'm like, okay, these are some monsters. And uh, put me in some board shorts, redid the Phil Heath. I got second at the Phil Heath, which was fine. I just needed to qualify for nationals. Went back to Junior USA's. Head judge at the time was Sandy. You got to know your judge. Yeah. Head judge was Sandy. And uh, I was in class C. And I didn't think I looked all that good. But when I look at the lineup, Oh, I looked incredible. <laughs> and so this is my second show ever in board shorts. And uh, I win my class, my category, Class C. And in order to go pro, you not only need to win your your class, but you also need to be placed top three overall. So all of the class winners went up at the end for an overall. And I mean, these are some amazing physiques, like impressive physiques. And I was like, I need to just try to break in the top three. I didn't think I was number one. I just needed to be in the top three. So we did the lineup, moved me to center stage. It was a very long deliberation. And then they called my name. They called third place and they called, called second place. 
And when they were going to, and I was like, well, I, I didn't get 30 seconds. So it's, it's it for me. I, I guess I have to try the next show. And they called first place and they said my number and my name. I about lost it. I was like, what? And I, I was finally an IFBB pro. And I go up and go to center stage. And the reason I found out later, because I had a perfect unanimous score across every single judging card. There was never a question that that show was mine. Wow. The deliberation was between second and third place. Wow. And I had no this. idea that's how it was. You did this all natural. All natural. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you go through a lot of things in life, right? Yeah. There's a lot of pain, sometimes way more pain than there is good. But I tell you what, Joseph, if I, if I was to hand, if I was to show you all of my medals, all of my trophies, and I was to show you all of my winning trophies compared to the times that I placed third, fourth, fifth, eighth place, I'd have to hold those third, fourth, fifth, eighth place trophies in two hands. I'd have to grab them like this because there's yeah. a lot of them. A there's a lot. Yeah. But if, and if I was to hold, to show you the ones that I, I won, I can do that all in one hand. Yeah. But there's a big difference, a big difference in that when I did win, I won big. Yeah. And I won when it mattered. Yeah. And I won by remaining resilient and turning that loss into a lesson. That's all great, that those, those two armfuls of loses, of losses. I don't even call them losses. I call them lessons. Yeah. Every time I was beat and I stepped off that stage, I said, okay, what do I need to do to get better? Right. And I was better and better every time until I turned 20 of those into one win, one yeah. big win. Right. Give me 20 more of those losses and give me another big win. Yeah. Right. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. And, you know, Caleb, I know you're referencing that to your competition, you know, your competitions in bodybuilding. But that's life. Turning our losses into lessons. Mm -hmm. You know, and I say that about failures. People think failure is a bad thing. I'm like, no, that's a lesson learned. You know, mm -hmm. society sees that if you fail in business, you're bad. You need to quit. It teaches us that, that when you hit a failure point, you know, mm -hmm. in life, just quit and do something different. And that's why yeah. a lot of us end up taking out the, the, taking the easy road, so to say. And that's mm -hmm. why I, for me, I'm like, I call it, what I call is flipping the, flipping the script is mm -hmm. I didn't, f I, I may have failed. I may have not reached my overall goal, but what did I learn in that process? You know, and I want to ask you this question before we end the show. What does the phrase or the title of my podcast, Purpose Through Pain, what does that mean to you? It reminds me of, and correct me if I'm wrong, it reminds me of the story of, in the Bible, of being thrown in the fire, having to go, who, who, who's that? Um, uh, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, yeah, Shadrach. and yeah. Abednego right, got thrown in the fire, right? To endure, and you know, they they weren't, they came out unscathed, but purpose through pain means being thrown in the fire, going through the flames, being scorched a couple times, feeling the pain, going through life, because that's what life is. You can't just live life and everything is just glitter and gold and you just feel, you know, just ecstasy and everything is amazing. Life is emotion, life is pain, life is love. Life is kindness. Life is purpose. Purpose through pain, experiencing life and coming out on the other side and knowing that you have a purpose and there was a reason 
why you went through what you went through, either for yourself or for someone else. Even if it was for you to endure the fire so that you could tell your story because it was going to save somebody later, there's a purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. I had this comment that I make um, when you're walking through hell, fire, Mm. fire can only do one of two things. It can either destroy you or it can refine you. Mm-hmm. The choice is yours. I love that. The choice I is love yours. that. You know, I'll let you use it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use it. Well, uh, you can use it when you come on my show. There we go. There we go. Absolutely, <laughs> man. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Caleb, thanks so much, brother, for coming on, man. It's been an honor and a pleasure just hearing you and, and even just talking with you and, and just getting to understand even more perspectives of other people's pain and the purpose that you had through it. You know, I know it was way bigger than, you know, the relationship that was restored with your father, you know, Mm -hmm. your dad, you -hmm. know, and because it also restored, you know, was a setting stone for your brothers, you know, and your sister, you know, and, uh, and then even just you venturing into bodybuilding, how much, how many people you've been able to help and things like that. So before we leave, you have a podcast, okay? Tell our listeners a little bit about the podcast, also what you're doing with your business and how they can connect with you. All right. So, yeah, uh, Ignite is the name of my podcast. It's it's still kind of a baby. We've got seven episodes out, but I'm loving it. Ignite is about telling, giving a lesson. Uh, I, the concept comes from kind of delivering a master class, but you don't need a, a doctorate or have been published as, as, an, as an author. Just like you said, everybody goes through something and has something to to give to others through what they've experienced. So that's what Ignite is. You come on, all of my teachers, if you will, are called torchbearers, and they deliver a lesson on life, whether it's professional or personal development. So you can tune in to Ignite every Thursday. I have a new episode dropping every Thursday. And you can find us on Instagram at, at the underscore ignite podcast. And yeah, and, and you can also follow us on Facebook currently under the Shadows Podcast on Facebook. And we'll soon have a YouTube in our own uh, Facebook. Uh, and then other than that, I'm I'm working on a postpartum rehabilitation and reintegration exercise program for active duty mothers called PrEP. So I'm ready. I'm working on on that, on making that Air Force wide and available, hopefully, to the DOD. That's awesome, man. That is absolutely awesome. Brother, I'm super proud of you, man. Uh, mm-hmm. Honored to call you my friend. And, yes, sir. Uh, you know, one, one of these days we'll meet up and uh, we'll make it personal, man. And we'll, we'll give each other a big old hug. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, Caleb, thanks again, man. It's, it's, it's been a true honor. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.